If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. Um, today's going to maybe be a little bit of review uh, for some things that we've talked about. Um, the story is, is very familiar, especially in this house, because I've talked about it, I don't know, a dozen times maybe, or referenced it several times. Uh, but, but the Lord just keeps revealing new things inside of this, this passage and, uh, and maybe some, some old things that we need to just keep reviewing over and over again until it becomes a revelation to us and becomes an everyday way of life for us. So um, I've spent the past, I don't know, several months since, since I started in September talking about sons and daughters, being sons and daughters of God, and, and uh, the Lord's not relenting on that. And so, um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today as well. So uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, it's the story, in, within Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son. And so we're going to talk a little bit more. A few weeks ago, I, talked, I broke down a little bit about that, uh, but we're going to talk a little more about it this morning. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen to Jesus, or listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concern for the Jewish religious leaders and the experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how... Look at how at how this man associated with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. In response, Jesus gave this illustration. And so, so, so uh, Jesus gives this illustration. He goes on and, and talks about three different parables. First, he talks about the parable of the lost sheep. Then he talks about the parable of the lost coin. And then lastly, he talks about the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to focus on that parable this morning. But I want to just set the scene for you of what, what the context of the parable is. So Jesus is, is teaching, he says he's teaching people who are notorious for being sinners, people who openly sin, who openly have a bad reputation. Jesus is talking to those people, and this upsets, guess who? The religious leaders. The one, it upsets the ones who have their actions, who are following the law uh, to the T. It upsets the ones who are doing everything right that this teacher would come and share this message of love and grace and forgiveness to a bunch of people who are rebels and radicals and openly sinful. And so this, that's, that's the context of who Je what Jesus is talking into when he's talking about the parable of the prodigal son. So that's important to understand before we jump into this parable of who Jesus is talking to. So he was talking to the sinners, and this parable is actually in response to the religious leaders. So he shifted his focus from the sinners to now to the religious ones, the ones who, um, who have their, all their stuff together, okay? So Jesus, is in response, says this parable to him. He says, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. I want to stop right there and, and just and show you that by the son coming to the father and asking for his inheritance, he's in essence saying, Father, I would rather have your money than you around. Right? Generally, you get an inheritance after the father 
father has died, or after the mother and father has died, you receive the inheritance. So in essence, the son is looking at the father, and he's saying, I would rather you be dead and have your money than to have you and not have your money. So the son is actually disgracing the father. He's, uh, he's dishonoring the father by asking for his inheritance from him. And the father, being a good father, goes ahead and distributes his inheritance. Not only, this is important, he distributes the inheritance not only to the son who asked for it, but even to the other son who didn't ask for it. He goes ahead and gives the inheritance to the son, even though it was a disgrace to ask for it. And, and here's, here's what the Lord began showing me in that. How many of us, we, we don't, don't directly tell the, tell the father we don't want him, but how many of us want the inheritance of the Father. We want all of the things, all of the blessings that comes with the relationship with the Father, minus the relationship. Minus the time it takes, the sacrifice it takes to actually have a one-on-one, real, authentic relationship with the Father. We don't spend a day during our week praying to Him. But then when something bad happens, all of a sudden, Jesus, we need your peace. We need your healing. We need your comfort. And it's, we don't realize, but we're doing exactly what the son did, what the prodigal son did. We're asking for our inheritance without having a relationship with the father. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. Because he's a good father, he still gives it to us. Because he's a good father, he still gives us the inheritance, even when we aren't in right relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? That even when we're not in right relationship with him, when we ask him for peace, man, he still gives us peace. And, but, but I want to just challenge us this morning and look at your own life and, and, and decide, are you wanting the inheritance without the relationship? Are you pursuing the things God can give us over the relationship we can, we, the opportunity we have to have relationship with the one who gives the inheritance. So that's just a little challenge uh, for you this morning. I know I'm getting heavy right away, but the time is short. So let's pursue a relationship with the Father, not just ask for our inheritance. But the Father goes ahead in the story, the Father goes ahead and gives the Son, both sons, the one who didn't ask and the one who did ask, he gave both sons their inheritance. And then it says, shortly afterwards, the youngest son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. His journey to a far off land uh, where he soon wasted all, all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. So as many of you know, the son goes away and he wastes all of the money, all of the inheritance that was given him. He just wasted it. On, on prodigal living, on, and it says here, a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was, there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in the country to hire him, and the farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished that he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Now, to most of us, this is already disgraceful, right? That he's willing to eat the uh, pots from the pigs, but, but even more so for this prodigal son who was a Jewish, a Jewish man who uh, it was actually um, 
it was actually unclean for Jews to eat pigs. And so not only is he serving uh, in an unclean way, being around a pig, which a Jew was not supposed to be, he was willing to eat the things the pigs ate. So he was like lower than unclean, right? He was living in lower than, than the standards that were set for him. And so he, he comes, it says humiliated, the son finally realizes what he was doing, and he thought there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want and plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house, and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I have, I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your hired employees. So the, the son finally realized, man, it's better. It would be better for me to be a servant, to be a slave in my father's house than it would be for me to remain in this pig pen. He realizes it'd be better for me to be the lowliest person in my father's house, not to go back and be called a son, but to go back and be called a servant. It'd be better for me to be there than it would be for me to be here. So he comes to himself and realizes that. Amen. Are you all awake this morning? I'm trying to wake up too. Amber had a really good suggestion of putting caffeine in the communion this morning. <laughs> so she, when we did, we put it in the communion. So, so you should all be nice and awake right now, okay? So it says, it says he, he says this, the father, he, that, that he, begins, he begins this, he begins rehearsing this line. So he's walking back to the father's house. He's realized, he's come to this realization that I need to get back to my father's house, even if it means I'm just going to be a servant. So he begins walking back to his father's house, and you can just see him rehearsing this line over and over again. Father, I've sinned in your sight. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of these hired servants. You just hear him over and over again rehearsing this line, and you can, you can see him almost picturing what the response is going to be from the father, right? So he's, he's like, I'm going to humble myself, and hopefully the father will have grace on me. Hopefully the father will have mercy on me. He's rehearsing the line over and over again, and he's picturing this rejection from the Father. He's picturing the rejection from the Father, and he's rehearsing his line over and over again. He's looking back at all the things that he's done and that he disgraced his father. He basically told his father that he'd rather him drop dead, and he's, he's gone and he's wasted his inheritance. And he's, the, the, many scholars believe that, that the extravagant living that he was talking about was with prostitutes, that he was wasting his money on prostitutes and on harlots and all of these sinful things. This is all going through the prodigal's head as he's walking back to his father's house. He's thinking of all these nasty, perverted, disgusting things that he's done and all the sins that he's committed and how unworthy he is to even approach his father. And it's going through his head over and over again. And I don't know about you, but it reminds me of me when I'm approaching the Father. I'm thinking of, man, I did this, I did that. I'm so unworthy to be called your son. I'm so unworthy to be a son in your house. I, I could maybe make it as a slave, but that's about as far as I could get. And this, the, we, we do that. We rehearse in our heads all of the things that we've done. But here's, here's the deal, and this is a quote from a man named Brandon, Brennan Manning that I love. What we don't realize is that the Father doesn't love us in spite of our sins, but with them. 
Then he goes on to say he doesn't condone sin, but he certainly doesn't withhold his love from us because of sin. And what we got to realize is the Father doesn't love us the way we love ourselves. The Father doesn't love us like we love us. Because, man, I don't know about you, but we can be our biggest critics. We can be our, our, our worst enemy. Because we realize who we really are. I mean, it's easy to hide it from everybody else. But we know what we're thinking. We know the thoughts that we had. We know the things we did in the dark. And we also know the Father knows. But what we think in our heads is that He loves us like we loves us. And we're ashamed of ourselves, so He must be ashamed of us. We don't like ourselves, so He must not like us all that much. But what we don't realize is the Father doesn't love us like we love ourselves. He loves us with a love that we cannot even begin to comprehend. That He doesn't love us in spite of our sins. He doesn't put up with our sins just because He loves us. He loves us even with our sin. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, before we ever came to make an apology to the Father, before we ever repent, He loved us with an extravagant love that we could never imagine. That He sent His Son to die for us while we were sinners, before we decided to repent. That's the love He loves us with. And that's the love that we see here in the prodigal son. That the Father, that the Son steps on the land. As soon as the Son puts his foot back on the property of the father. The father takes off running to the son. Everybody knows this story so well. He takes off running to the son, wraps his arms around the son. And the Bible says, I'll just just tell you, the Bible says that he begins hugging and kissing his son over and over and over again. And then the son tries to gather himself. He's, He's shocked by the father's response. And so he tries to gather himself and begins to recite the line he had practiced in his head over again. Father, I have sinned in your sight. I am not worthy to be called your son. And before the son gets the words out of his mouth, the father says, servants, bring the robe and the ring. Bring the sandals and put on his feet. Before the son could even finish his sentence, the father said, that's not the kind of thinking I'm going to allow in my house. That's not the kind of thinking I'm going to allow in my house. You will never be a servant in my house. You will always be a son in my house. You will always be a son of my No matter what you do and no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've wasted the inheritance that I've given you, you will always be met with celebration in my house because you are my son. And I love you more than you could ever imagine. And that's, that's the response the prodigal receives. And I promise you, that's the response we receive every time we come back to the Father. Every time we come back to the Father. His response will always be extravagant, overwhelming love for us. That we'll never be a hired hand in the kingdom. That we'll always be a son and co-heir with Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. The Father loves us more than we could ever imagine. So the Father gives the ring and the robe. I'm not going to go over that stuff with you because we did that a couple weeks ago, but the father gives the robe, the ring, and the sandals, which are all basically representations of sonship, of authority, the authority of the father. It represents that he's no longer a slave, but he's a son. And so the father gives all of those things to the son. 
And it goes on, and it talks, we're going to start, oh wait, actually, this is, I don't want to miss this because this is extremely important too. What, what else is amazing about this story is not only does the father give um, redemption to the son, but he includes the entire community. In, in the, he, he gets the entire community involved in the son's restoration. I love that part about this story, that not only does the father restore the son, but the father gets the entire community to help bring restoration to the son, right? So he doesn't go get the robe. He tells the servants, place the robe on my son's shoulders. Place the ring on my son's finger. Place the sandals on his feet. He gets the entire community. He says, go kill the fatted calf and, and begin to make a meal. And he gets the entire community to begin to restore the son. The entire community restores the son. And this is important because this, I don't know about you, but if I was part of that community, I'd be thinking, this dude took your inheritance, wasted all of the money, spent all of the money, disgraced the family name, disgraced the name of, of, of this family, and now all of a sudden when he's out of money, He's going to come back and beg for forgiveness. And, and my reaction to that, I, maybe you guys are nicer than me, but my reaction to that would be like, yeah, right. Right? I'm not going to let this guy come. And the only reason he's coming back is because he's out of money, right? That, that's, that would be my thought process. But I love how the father doesn't allow that thinking to happen in his house. He doesn't allow the people to react that way. He says, no, you're going to be involved in restoring my son. You're going to be involved in bringing him back into the family. And he gets the entire community to come back together and to restore the son. And, and I'm going to talk more about that here in a minute, but I want to, before I, I talk more about that, talk about this other brother, right? And here's what's interesting about the prodigal son. The, the story is off, absolutely about the prodigal son, but I think it's just as much about the son that stayed behind the second son. And a lot of times we walk, we pass right over, over the second son, but I think the story is actually as much, if not more, about the second son as it is about the first son. And here's the reason why. Do you remember who the audience is that he's talking to? You have that caffeine, so you can help me out. The religious leaders, right? The religious leaders who are mad because Jesus is sharing the gospel with the sinners. And he's not talking to the sinners at this point. He's talking to the religious leaders. Religious spirit of those religious leaders because the son, that the, the older son that stayed behind did everything right. He worked the field with his father. He brought in, the, brought in the harvest with his dad. He never left his dad. He never disgraced his dad. He did everything to the letter, to the T, everything right. Just like these religious leaders who followed the law to a T, who, who uh, were taught in the synagogues, who stayed away from, from sinful things, from sinful behavior, they did everything right. And I think this next verse is, our, 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 or this, this story is just as much about the religious spirit, the religious um, I, or thoughts that we have as, it is, as much as it is about the prodigal son. Because how many of us think that we can earn God's favor 
by doing everything right. That we earn our favor with the Father by reading our Bible, coming to church, staying away from sin as much as we possibly can, that we do everything right. Um, but how many of you realize that that's not the way to earn God's grace and favor? It says, let me, let me just read you what, what it says here with, with the older son. It says, this, um, now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned, and as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home, and your father is throwing him a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. Something I want to point out real quick with this is that, yes, the prodigal disgraced the father by, not, by taking the inheritance, but what we don't realize is that the older son is disgracing the father by not joining in the celebration. Because in that culture, um, hospitality was of uh, the highest importance. And if your father was throwing a party, it was your job, it was your responsibility as a son to help co-host the party. And for the son to refuse to even come into the party, he was humiliating the father by rejecting the father, by rejecting what the father was doing. So both sons actually disgraced the father in this story. Then it says, the son said, Father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? And I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I may feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He's come back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. I don't know about you, but many of you can hear what this son is saying and totally relate to it, right? Again, the, the son wasted everything and now he thinks he can just come back and be accepted into the family without any repercussions, without any sort of a, of a time frame to return back to make sure you're actually committed to this thing. And yet I've been here working and slaving and doing everything I'm supposed to, but I've never received a party like you're throwing for this son. I can absolutely see what the son is saying here. And I can absolutely relate to it. But here's the key. Though both sons treated the goodness of the father differently, both sons had the same error and the same problem. Because what neither son realized was that the inheritance, that the goodness, that the love of the father was never based on their performance, but only based on the father's performance. That whether you screw everything up, you waste your inheritance, you live a sinful, horrible life, or whether you do everything right and you come to church every Sunday and you read your Bible and you do a devotion every morning, no matter what field you're in or anywhere in between, you will never earn God's favor based on what you do or don't do. It only comes as a byproduct of the goodness and the grace and the love of the Father period. 
that you are a child of God, whether you are in the slums, in the pit, and in despair, or whether you are doing everything right, you are a son of God, no matter what. And it's time that we stop basing our identity on what we do and base our identity by who he is and what he says about us. And what does he say about us? That we are his son and we are his daughter and we are dearly loved. Not in spite of our sins, but with our sins. That's who we are. That's who we are. And when we realize that, I can't stress this enough. I know I've said it a thousand times, but it's all right. When we realize that, we can finally walk in the confidence of who we are. And it's at that point that we'll start making a difference in our world around us. Because what does the Bible say in Romans? That the earth is groaning for the sons of God to realize who they are. I believe that, maybe it's just because it's what the Lord's talking to me right now, but I believe that this is the most, one of the most important things that we can get, is to realize that we are loved, we are loved just because we are loved. That we, he will always call us beloved. I, I, I wanna, uh, one of my favorite ministers points out within this, within the context of this, uh, or, or in, the chap- in this chapter of the prodigal son, that you'll never see or read the father call the son prodigal. That he never calls the son prodigal. Other, others in the story do. They call him, you know, they, they point out his sin, they point out the things that he did, but you'll never once read in this story the father calling the son prodigal. Because he does, that, see, the, the Lord, uh, and, and we do this even within Scripture, we call him the rich young ruler, Right? We call him the, we call him the, uh, oh man, my brain just quit. You know what I'm saying? We, we call people based off of their dysfunction, but the father never does that. He doesn't call you based off of your dysfunction. He calls you based on who he sees you as, which is a son and a daughter. Amen. So we got to stop seeing ourselves in our dysfunction and start seeing ourselves as sons and daughters. And here's, here's where I want to end with this morning. We have to not only do this with ourselves, to, to see ourselves as sons and daughters and as the beloved and begin identifying ourselves as that. But we have to start doing this with others as well. That we don't call people out and we don't um, identify them and treat them as their dysfunctional self. But we begin to see them as the Father sees them. And we begin to see them as sons and daughters of God, just like we are sons and daughters of God. And that, and that they are dearly loved just like we are dearly loved. And there's some examples of this. There's actually two examples I want to just mention this morning. And you may know about these situations. You may not. But um, the two I want to talk about this morning is, as many of you have heard in the news about Kanye West, right? I know all of you are huge Kanye fans, right? <laughs> Ron's shaking his head uh, emphatically no. <laughs> Kanye recently had this incredible encounter with the Lord and has completely taken a 180. For those of you who may not know who Kanye West is, I couldn't imagine anybody in here not knowing who Kanye West is, but Kanye West is a rapper um, that got famous several years ago, and uh, his lyrics are, were, are, are just horrible. <laughs> I don't know, his previous stuff. Uh, but then he also kind of just had this, th- this is what's kind of neat about this situation too, is he kind of developed this kind of godlike complex that he uh, kind of, thought of himself very, very highly. In fact, uh, he began calling himself Jesus for a while. 
you know, spent on Jesus, right? He began calling himself Jesus. So he, just, just this man who was very full of himself, very arrogant, um, and just leading a very sinful life, radically encounters Jesus in a moment. Radically encounters Jesus. Puts out an album a few weeks ago called Jesus is King, and it is probably the most gospel I have heard on a Christian album in a long time. The, the amount of revelation from a man who just months before was calling himself Jesus, that probably knew hardly anything about the Bible, the amount of revelation coming off of this album is just mind-boggling. It's only, only God that could do something like this. But here's what's crazy. This incredible thing happens to this man named Kanye West who puts out an album called Jesus is King, which, by the way, is number one on like four or five different billboards. Every song is, is number one in some sort of billboard or different thing. Uh, the, he's, he's now doing what's called Sunday morning. He calls it Sunday morning something concerts. His concerts have become church services where he, they, he has a choir that does a lot of the singing. He comes up and does a few things. And then he has somebody come and preach the gospel. Literally thousands are coming to know Jesus through these concerts. But you get on Facebook, which is stupid to do anyways, because you know you're going to find dumb things on there. What was the initial response from the Christian community as a whole? Not everybody, but as a whole. Extremely negative. I don't believe it. There's no way that this happened. He's only been a Christian for, I don't know, 10 minutes, and he's out there preaching the gospel. That's, he needs to at least go to some classes and become a Bible scholar before he can begin sharing the gospel, right? And our initial response to Kanye West coming to know Jesus, the coolest thing to happen in 2019, in my opinion, and it's, it's met by the Christian community, the ones who love Jesus, the, one who, the ones who pray, the ones who are supposed to be living right, the initial response is, I don't believe it. Man, our response has been overwhelmingly just joyful and ecstatic and supportive of this man. I, I think, and, and pe- the, to the people that say, well, he, he just became a Christian, How, he shouldn't be just sharing the gospel yet. Are you kidding me? Like, who... What better person to share the gospel than the one who had just came from darkness and into light, right? I mean, there's, I've been a Christian my entire life, right? And, and it's, it's great that I can share the gospel. But man, for somebody to look at somebody like Kanye West and see the destruction that he had caused in his life and to see him now in living in marvelous light and complete joy, he's, if you see him, he's a completely different person. See his interactions with people, totally humble, totally, just a totally different person. I saw one interview that said, uh, the guy said, How, what are you, what's your response to the people that say that this isn't real? What's your response to the people that say that this, this thing is, is just another phase of Kanye West? And, and his response was so simple but so brilliant. He said, he said, wouldn't you agree that if somebody was asleep, that they're asleep? And the guy was like, well, yeah, obviously. He said, and wouldn't you agree that when they wake up, that they're awake? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And he said, it's exactly what's happened to me. I was asleep, but now I'm awake. I could preach a thousand sermons and never touch the kind of um, response that can be received from that.
life that, that not only just speaks it, but a life you can look at and see the complete transformation. That you can see somebody who passed from death to life. And he's on the biggest platform that you could possibly get. And he's spreading the gospel with everything that he has. Our response should him, to him should not be religious like this son, but we've been doing it right, God. How come we're not able to get on that stage and preach the gospel? Our response should be, go, Kanye. <laughs> we're behind you 110%. Then the other person, I, want, I, I know we're probably getting close on time, but I just want to mention this as well. But um, how many of you have seen in the news about John Christ recently? If you don't know who John Christ is, He's a Christian comedian that has gotten extremely popular the past several years, um, has gotten a major platform. Um, and it just came out this week that he had been, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the right terms. He had been uh, in very inappropriate relationships, that he had treated women very inappropriately. Um, and and it, there's several women that have come out and, and now have kind of exposed that. And uh, it's, it's devastating, absolutely devastating, because he, he had such major influence, not just in the Christian world, but, man, he was gaining influence even in the secular world. And now I, I even saw it on CNN this morning on the news, on CNN talking about John Chris and his, his now failure that is public to everybody. And it's, it's horrible. And I, I don't want to say, give this... Uh, uh, little buffer first that obviously I don't condone what he did at all. Uh, the things that he did were, were not right, were not good, um, and, and, you know, were, very, were, were not good at all. So I don't condone at all what he did and, and any of that. But what's amazing is, is Charisma Magazine was one of the first ones to publish what was happening, but they also published a statement from John Christ that was several paragraphs long. And the paragraph was just full of regret and, and repentance and, uh, and apologizing over himself. He, at one point, he says something about, he's, he said, I'm not only disappointed that I hurt the people around me and my fans and, and obviously those women, but even more than that, I'm disappointed that I hurt the name of Jesus because I'm representing the name of Jesus. And, and now it's come out, you know, these things that I've done and, and I'm hurting the name of Jesus and he was extremely repentant in all of that. And I don't, I don't know John Chris personally. I don't know his heart. But I do know this, that when the prodigal came home and was repentant, that the father embraced him and loved him and celebrated him and loved him even in the middle of his sin. And then he, this is the important part, got the entire community involved in his restoration. And what's really sad to me, I'm a part of several groups on Facebook, um, Christian groups on Facebook. What's been sad to me is the majority of people's comments has just been horrific about this. And again, it, what he did wasn't right at all. And, and you know, there's definitely going to be repercussions. There's definitely going to be all of those things. But I would think as the Christian community, of somebody who's coming back and repenting and seeking help and who's wanting to uh, look, seek out forgiveness, who's not being arrogant about it, but who's being extremely humble, I think our response should be the Father's response. That we should love him, 
that we should embrace him, that we should do everything we can to protect him as he's healing and not go out there blaspheming his name and, and spreading more hate towards him. Man, all that is doing is self-destructing the gospel. And so that's what, that's what I want to just kind of end this message with is, is, this is I've kind of been all over the place, but one, that we would realize who we are as Abba's child, whether we are living the perfect life or we're living a life in sin, that no matter what, what state we're in, no, the Father doesn't condone sin, but he loves us even in the sin, that that will never change the love of the Father towards us, but then that our reactions to others around us would be as the Father's reaction towards us, that we would love them as God's child in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their, of their sin, in the midst of their failures, that we would embrace them as the father embraced the prodigal. And that in that, we'll see restoration. We'll see forgiveness. And, and it's, it says, I'll end with this idea. I keep saying that. I'm never going to end. <laughs> it says that they will know us by our love for one another. That they will know us by our love for one another. So don't you think it's time that we start loving each other the way that Jesus loves us? the way that the Father loves us.